Amen, amen. Well, those baskets are going around. Um, my name is Mick Murray, by the way. I'm the equipping director here at Antioch. I'm going to extend our uh, announcements just a little bit here and tell you about Life University. One of my uh, privileges is to direct our equipping classes called Life University. So we bundle them together in the spring and in the fall. And so we have a uh, a series of classes coming up here in a week and a half. We'll have four different classes. They're going to run for six weeks on Monday evenings from 6 to 7.30. Uh, in our first class, I want to talk about briefly here, and we would encourage everybody to jump into one at some point because we all need help in our journey along the way uh, as we seek to follow Jesus. So we have a class called Kingdom Culture, which Vincent Carpenter is going to lead, and we have a desire here at Antioch to be, quote, a biblically-based family of God, Embracing every nation, tribe, people, and language committed to worshiping Jesus and living out kingdom values in community. And so topics in this course are going to include the poor, women, the elderly, minorities, other groups affected by cultural challenges, and how we can be a biblically-based church that is seeking to encompass uh, people from every uh, background and walk of life. So you can jump in with Vincent for that course. Uh, second course we're going to talk about is Realign. And that is our financial equipping course led by the Hulix and the Cifaldos. And uh, Jesus talked about money just about as much as any topic uh, throughout his ministry. And it touches on every part of our discipleship to God. So topics here, God's design for money, budgeting, saving, uh, getting rid of bad debt, and so on. Uh, our third course is our parenting course. And Sean and Connie Dunn, our children's pastor, is going to be leading that course. And uh, if you're a parent, uh, as we are, of four boys... It is a monumental task, and we need help along the way. And Deuteronomy 6 encourages us to be diligent in our training of our kids, that they would uh, grow up knowing the ways of the Lord and walking in the ways of the Lord. So creating a family culture, training, discipline, and a host of other issues the parents face in our era. And then our last course, led by uh, Carl Gully, our PAUSE course, Spiritual Renewal for Busy People. If you find that you are depleted, which a lot of us are coming out of the COVID era and just all the pressures of life, if you have a deep weariness of soul, uh, then this course might be for you. So he's going to talk about understanding our state of being, spiritual formation, the power of silence, renewing the mind, and a lot of other topics, and then giving some practices right uh, there together, a, a practice every week for spiritual Renewal. So practically, we have a, a slide that has the dates and the costs. The dates, uh, again, coming up here January 23rd through February 27th. So again, that's every Monday from 6 to 7.30 right here on campus. The cost is $20 per person, regardless of the course. And uh, the registration deadline is next Wednesday, the 18th. So you got about 10 days to figure out which course you want to be a part of, and you can sign up for that. We do have limited child care. Uh, that's available on a first-come, first-served basis. So there's a QR code there. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can open up your camera app and, and square up that QR code. Click on the link, and it'll take you to the page where you can read more about those courses and register. Or you can just go to our website, our church website, and uh, the Discipleship tab, and you will find the Life University courses listed there. All right. Well, we are in a short series called Set Apart, where last week we had a whole Sundays set aside just for worship and for prayer. Jeff already talked about the open house that's coming up this week, the week of consecration, where you can come and just get before the Lord. And this morning, we're going to do some spiritual exercises, some listening exercises 
at the end of our time together. So this is a participatory service. So if you're used to just coming and kind of passively listening, I'm just giving you a heads up now that at the end of our time, we'll have some times where we get to participate together. Uh, but before we get there, I want to look at 1 Kings chapters 17 through 19. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have an app uh, that, uh, that has the Bible on it, you can open that up. We'll have a lot of the scriptures on the screens, but sometimes it helps to follow uh, along on your own. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning uh, as we look at our scripture together. So 1 Kings 17 about a quarter of the way through the Bible. If you need to look at the table of contents, there's no shame in that. I want you to get there so we can be on the same page together. So I'll start reading in verse 1. I'll read the first couple of verses here. 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So we're introduced to a couple of characters here. You have Ahab, King Ahab, who is the seventh king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, after it's split into Israel and Judah after the reign of Solomon. He is a Baal worshiper. Now, Baal was the god of fertility, the land fertility at that time. His animal was the bull. His weapon was lightning. And Ahab has just married Jezebel, who is the priestess of, of Asherah worship of Phoenicia. And so this was definitely a political arrangement to bring together Phoenicia and Israel, but it was also a spiritual arrangement because Asherah was the goddess of human fertility. So by bringing together Asherah and Baal, you're bringing together the land fertility and human fertility to bring about life and fruitfulness. That was the design in Ahab marrying, marrying Jezebel. Well, we're introduced to Elijah, and Elijah is a prophet of the Lord. And as a prophet of the Lord, he is zealous for God, for the worship of the true God, Yahweh. And so he is incensed by this flagrant idolatry that the king of Israel is engaging in, and he pronounces that there is going to be a drought for several years to come. Well, verse 2 says, And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, some Bible commentators point out the fact that the word of the Lord doesn't come to Elijah until verse what? Two. But in verse 1, Elijah has pronounced that there's going to be a drought. So we don't know this for certain, but it seems that the author of 1 Kings wants us to see that the word of the Lord doesn't come to him until after he's pronounced this drought, that perhaps this was Elijah speaking out of his own zeal for the Lord. Is he just making this up? Well, no, it turns out that he knows the scriptures. In Deuteronomy 11, verses 16 and 17 it says, take care lest your heart be deceived. This is a message to the nation of Israel. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, which is what's happened now with Ahab. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Again, some Bible teachers talk about the fact that it seems that Elijah is binding God to the text. He knows the promise of God out of Deuteronomy. He's saying there's idol worship happening, so there's going to be drought. Not necessarily that God has spoken that in real time at this time, but he is pronouncing this from the scriptures. Then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and the word to Elijah is about his sustenance. Go to this brook. 
I'll feed you there. And it seems that God might be rebuking Elijah slightly here because he's going to feed him with what bird? A raven. And a raven is an unclean bird in Jewish law. So it seems that God is partially displeased, possibly, with this pronouncement of drought. Elijah goes there and uh, pick up in verse 7. It says, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, Zarephath means refinement. And so it seems, again, God is inviting Elijah to a period of refinement. And he goes, and we get this human interest story now with this widow and her son, the widow of Zarephath. Because when a land, in, in, uh, when a land experiences drought and famine, it affects everybody, not just the Baal worshipers. So here we find that this widow has been affected by the famine and the drought, and God mercifully is caring for Elijah and the widow and her son miraculously throughout the extent of this drought. And we see that throughout the rest of chapter 17. At one point, the widow's son dies, and God raises him from the dead through Elijah. Now we pick it back up in chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So here we meet Obadiah after God has spoken to Elijah. Now go show yourself to Ahab and I'll send the rain. And then we're introduced to Obadiah, who is the manager of Ahab's household. Now Obadiah happens to fear the true God, Yahweh. And Ahab is sending him on an errand to find water for the royal livestock. And we find out that he has risked his own life by hiding a hundred other prophets in caves. Now, as Obadiah goes out to find water, Elijah finds him and asks, hey, can you set up a meeting between me and Ahab? Obadiah's uh, not thrilled about that, takes some convincing, but eventually Elijah convinces him to arrange this meeting. God has said to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. And so we come to verse 17 in chapter 18. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, again, what had the Lord spoken to Elijah to do in, chapter, in, in verse 1 of this chapter? He had said, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain. So Elijah obeys, he goes and shows himself to Ahab. But again, it seems that he adds something here. In the same way that he added the pronouncement of drought, he's adding this contest. He's saying, bring all the prophets, the pagan prophets, to Mount Carmel. Bring all the nation of Israel, and we're going to have a showdown. And again, does, is there no precedent for this? Is he just making this up? No, again, he knows the history of both of Baal worship and of Jewish worship. Because again, the animal for Baal is what? It's a bull, and, and Baal is the god of land fertility. And so uh, Baal prophets would 
they, the priests, they would slaughter a bull and they would pray for rain. They would pray for the fertility of the land. Similarly, there was a festival of tabernacles or booths that the Jewish uh, tradition, the Jewish law prescribed for, and it was called Sukkot in Hebrew. And in that festival, uh, at this time, in Elijah's time, there had a tradition had emerged where the priests would go to a well and draw out water. They would sacrifice a bull. They would pour water on the bull, and then they would pray for rain, pray for the harvests. Now, he might have been thinking back to Second Chronicles 7, where Solomon did this to dedicate the temple. He sacrificed the bull. They probably poured out water on the bull, and God answered with fire. So he's thinking, okay, we both have a tradition where we sacrifice a bull to pray for rain. It hasn't rained in three years. So let's see whose God answers by fire. Your God's weapon is lightning. My God answers with fire. So let's do this. And so they go up on Mount Carmel and they arrange the sacrifices. Uh, Elijah, ever the gentleman, allows the prophets of Baal to go first. And so they prepare their sacrifice. They chant and dance and do their process all morning long and nothing happens. About lunchtime, uh, nothing's happening, and so Elijah begins to taunt them. He is uh, akin to Peter in the New Testament. He's just full of chutzpah, if you know the Jewish word. He's full of zeal. He's full of fire, and he's taunting them. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe Baal's asleep. And so they begin to cut themselves, the prophets of Baal, and still it says, the text says that no one's listening. Nothing happens. So then it's Elijah's turn, and he repairs an altar that's up there on Mount Carmel. He gathers 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He prepares the sacrifice, and then he pours out 12 jars of water on it. I always thought that was like to make it even that much more difficult, but it turns out it was a reflection of the, the Jewish festival of Sukkot. He does it three times, four jars, three times for three years of drought. Three times four is 12, another Jewish uh, uh, moment of symbolism here. And then he prays and he calls out to God and God answers with fire and he burns up the sacrifice and burns up all the water. And the people fall down and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And it's this climactic moment in Elijah's ministry. It's been one of my favorite stories uh, for as long as I've been following Jesus. Well, he orders the, the murder, the, the execution of the 950 prophets there of Asherah and Baal. He's amped. He runs up to the top of Mount Carmel. He's certain that the rain's going to come. His servant is there. Eventually, they see a cloud the size of a man's hand. He's like, that's it. The rain's coming. So he runs back to Ahab. He says, go tell Jezebel the rains are coming. You better get going, by the way, because it's going to rain so much your chariot wheels are going to get stuck in the mud. So Ahab takes off for Jezreel. Uh, Elijah, filled with the spirit of the Lord, outruns Ahab and gets to Jezreel before him, 15 miles away. Well, we don't know exactly what happens. The text doesn't say explicitly, but Ahab explains to Jezebel what Elijah has done. She's hacked. She sends a messenger to Elijah, threatening his life. And there's something of a shift in Elijah. We pick this up in chapter 19, verse 3. It says, now he was afraid. Now, remember, he has just stood off against 950 prophets and seen a, a miraculous deliverance. But it says that he, Elijah, was afraid after being threatened by Jezebel. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He fled to another nation. He fled all the way south to Judah. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. 
And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. In just a few verses, he has gone from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And it seems that what he's dealing with here is profound disappointment. He's hoping for the overthrow of Ahab and Jezebel. They are the pagan leaders of Israel introducing all this idol worship. And he has just overthrown the prophets. And he's probably assuming the people will rise up and overthrow these wicked rulers and establish the worship of Yahweh again. But it doesn't happen. And his projection of his expectations on God not coming to pass leads to a deep despair and desperation. So he goes out into the wilderness, similar to Jonah later, uh, Jonah wishing that God would uh, send judgment on the Ninevites, doesn't happen, and Jonah goes out into the wilderness. Here we find Elijah out in the wilderness. God hasn't judged the enemies of Israel, the pagan uh, idol worshipers, in the way that he expected. And in fact, if you notice, if you go back and do a study on the life of Elijah, so far, uh, every time God has spoken, when you, if you look for when the word of the Lord came up to this point, it's always been about sustenance, salvation, provision. Just about every time Elijah has spoken, it's been about judgment. Even though it's, it's rightly purposed, he knows the scriptures, he's zealous for the Lord. He, he knows the will of God uh, on a big level, but in the moment, in time, it doesn't seem that he's operating on God's timeline, but on his own, trying to bring about judgment. Well, after verse four, God feeds him miraculously there in the wilderness. He's laid down to die, but God sends an angel. He gives him bread and water, and he eats and he drinks a couple of times, and then he's commissioned from that broom tree, that bush, to go to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Anybody else commissioned at a bush to go to Mount Sinai, right? So there's a lot of parallels with the life of Moses. If you know the story of Moses, we don't have time to get into it here. It's a really fascinating study. Both of them had killed in righteous anger, trying to deliver Israel in their own strength. Both had water miraculously provided for them in the wilderness. Both um, had a wilderness period where God had to get their attention. And that's what I want to hone in here, hone in on here for a moment, is the fact that God has led him into a wilderness and sends him to the Mount Horeb. And Horeb means desert. And you see over and over in the scriptures this wilderness period that people were brought into. And often it was a time where they were at the end of their own strength. Anybody feel like they're at the end of their own strength coming into 2023? And the wilderness is symbolic. It's symbolic for lack. In fact, I'm not sure if Cameron knew that this is where we were going today, but even the picture behind me, it's like the surface of Mars, right? There's not much to be excited about In the wilderness, there's not much in the way of natural provision, but God over and over brings people into the wilderness. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, it says, uh, God prophetically through Hosea says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her, the nation of Israel, into the wilderness and speak, what? Speak tenderly to her. We all need the tender voice of God, especially in the wilderness seasons. And so God brings Elijah to Mount Horeb. And we get the famous scene that begins in verse 9. It says, Then he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
Now, who knows that when God asks questions of people, he's not seeking information. He didn't lack something here. It's like when he confronted Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and said, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He didn't need that information. He knew it already. When God asks a question, he's giving space for people to respond, to own up. So Elijah could have responded, well, I'm, I'm here because I'm really disappointed in you, God. I'm angry or I'm sad or I don't know where to turn now or I've abdicated my responsibility as a prophet. I should have been listening and responding, but I was acting out ahead of you. Please forgive me. But he doesn't respond that way. He said in response, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Don't you know, God, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Sounds like a, something of a pity party, right? How many prophets did Obadiah hide in caves? A hundred. So there are at least a hundred others like Elijah, but I, even only I, am left. And look at all these things that I've done for you. Look at all of my spiritual accomplishments. Look at my zeal. Look at my faith. And here I am at the end of my rope. And he said, God says to Elijah, verse 11, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains. Now this sounds like Elijah, right? In broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And this is like Mount Sinai again, Moses. This is how God visited the people of Israel, this great display of power. But this time, God isn't in the great display of power. And right after all this, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. That word whisper in the Hebrew is a fun word. It's damama. Uh, I, we were talking about this yesterday as a family. We talked about the low whisper of God. And Steph was like, that's right, boys. You need to listen to damama, right? Um, so you won't forget your Hebrew lesson today. Damama. It's actually damama, but it's more fun to say it's damama. Um, damama, the low whisper of God. You see this crop up in Psalm 107, verse 29. It says, he made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. That word hushed is damama, the low whisper. Elsewhere, it's translated a thin silence. Isn't it amazing that this zealous prophet of God who had tremendous faith and God and, God and the scriptures honor Elijah. Uh, he's one of two that shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration with, G with Jesus. It was he and Moses. He had perhaps more faith than anybody who's ever lived aside from Jesus himself, maybe John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah. But here, when God needs to get his attention, he's not in the fire, he's not in the earthquake, he's not in the wind, he's in the low whisper, the thin silence, the hush. It's as if kind of the finger on the lips of Elijah, shh, Elijah, let me calm the storms internally. I want to speak to you. And interestingly, here in verse 13, it says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, what had God told him to do in verse 11? He had commanded him to come out to the entrance of the cave. And here we find out he hadn't responded to God's invitation. He was still in the back of the cave. He'd given up. 
and I raise the white flag. But this intrigues him. He hears the low whisper of God and he comes out now. And God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? A second time. And again, God doesn't need information. Elijah's already answered that question once. And remarkably, and this is where I love the scriptures because it does not blanch at our failures, at human failure. Elijah responds the same exact way. He didn't learn the lesson. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. Didn't you hear the first time? The God of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And I just, artistic license, but I kind of see the Lord taking a deep breath, like, okay. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you'll anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. You've abdicated your responsibility. You're going to be replaced. And the one who escapes from the sword, Hazael shall put, uh, of, of, of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. But the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. He's saying, Elijah, yes, there will be judgment, but in my timing, not in yours. Leave room for the vengeance of God. People have hurt you in 2022. Leave room for the vengeance of God. He will right every wrong, just not in the timeline that we always hope for. Up to this point, it has been about deliverance, provision, sustenance. Elijah has been pushing the envelope for judgment. God says, judgment is mine. I will repay. This is how it's going to happen. Verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000. You're not the only one, Elijah. It's not even just the 100 prophets that Obadiah hid. I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every, every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah goes on to find Elisha, who's just as zealous. It's, a, it's an amazing story. You can go on, go on to read about it, the rest of chapter 19, and on into 2 Kings 1 and 2. And Elisha has a ministry of judgment, but he also walks in a ministry that's much more like the ministry of Jesus. He's parting water. He's multiplying food. He's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the men and women around him. He raises the dead and heals the sick. And he seems to walk in a ministry that perhaps Elijah had been called to walk in. God eventually takes Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind of fire, just as Elijah would probably want. And Elisha takes his place. But I think the resounding clarion lesson from Elijah's life, the invitation for us coming into 2023, and the reason we did this short little devotional this morning, is the one word, listen. We believe that God is speaking to us as a church to um, to lay down our oars, if you've heard that metaphor where we in our own power have been trying to make headway. And God is saying, it's time for you to stop operating in your own strength. Put down your oars, raise the sails, and let me blow you where I will. But that requires a fresh surrender, a fresh sacrifice, and a faith that says, God, I trust you. Even though you haven't dealt with my enemies yet, even though we still can't make ends meet and I don't know where the mortgage payment's gonna come this month, even though this chronic illness hasn't been healed yet, yet we will serve you. Yet we will listen and obey. And so we're gonna take 12, 15 minutes here. We're gonna do a series of exercises 
to posture our hearts before the Lord. And what I know about most of you in the room is that silence is uncomfortable. And so uh, let me just say that on the front end, this will probably not be a, uh, a deeply enjoyable exercise for some of you. For others of you, you love just the contemplative, slow, quiet silence before God, and you'll relish this. But for all of us, it's an invitation just to give God space to speak to us this morning. And maybe that concept is new for you. You know that God speaks through the scriptures, but this idea of God speaking directly to you by his spirit might be a new concept. And I encourage you to jump into a life group and press into that more. We don't have time to unpack that this morning. But at a minimum, we just want to be still before the Lord. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, with or without you. You can go my pace. You can respond to my leadership. You likely received a card when you walked in. Uh, if you didn't, that's okay. Questions are going to be up on the screen, but this is just a space for you to write out some thoughts. If you have a pen, uh, again, it's okay if you don't. At a minimum, it's just a time to be still, to kind of quiet the storm internally for a few minutes. And the first exercise that we're going to do is to look back on 2022 and ask the Lord what we need to let go of that might be holding us back. For Elijah, maybe it was his disappointment that God hadn't acted on his timetable. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe this is somebody you need to forgive, somebody who betrayed you in 2022. Maybe this is a, just a general disappointment, something that you hoped would happen that didn't happen. Maybe this is a business venture that went south. Again, a, a chronic illness or an untimely death or consistent financial struggles. What is bogging you down emotionally, spiritually, that's inhibiting you? It's a ball and chain from walking into the promises of God for 2023. Maybe nothing immediately comes to mind and that's okay. I'm just gonna take three minutes, three, four minutes and just be still before the Lord. It's nothing magical. Just try to still your mind and your heart. And ask the Lord, God, is there anything that's holding me back? And then just sit for a moment, see if something comes to mind. And as it does, just write it down. A bonus question. As things come to mind, Lord, what do you want to give me in return? Sometimes in my mind's eye, I just picture the cross and these heavy things that I'm carrying and I physically lay them down in my mind's eye, these burdens, and then look to Jesus. And Jesus, what would you give me in return? as I forgive this person and let them off the hook, as I unburden myself before you, what would you give me in return? Just take three or four minutes, ask the Lord, write down some thoughts, and we'll pull back together.
Just take one more minute. second exercise we're going to do, you see on your card there, is just an exercise of thankfulness. Thankfulness can often just break the heaviness that we might be feeling and just kind of a pause for reflection, letting go of the past and then surveying your present. And again, maybe you're, you've just got a ton of difficulties, but what can we be thankful for? And thankfulness is an exercise of the will. We might feel thankful at times, but most of the time it's an exercise of the will, choosing thankfulness. Just take a minute or two here. Jot down a few things or just pray quietly there in your own seat back to the Lord. Prayers of thankfulness. Just begin to list it. And when you get to the end of your list, just keep digging. You'll probably find more. And just take a minute or two here and practice thankfulness. Psalm 16.8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Even that preposition before me, I've set the Lord before me. It seemed that at times Elijah got out ahead of God. And the question on the card is what is distracting me from fixing my eyes on Jesus? And I'll amend that a little bit based on Elijah's life. And what would be distracting us from listening to Jesus this year? Maybe that's, you see the examples there on the card. Maybe it's a fear regarding finances or health concerns or relational tensions. I know for me, it's just practical. It's media. It's my distraction oftentimes. Social media or the news or just something to occupy my mind in those dead spaces. And maybe this year is a year of setting aside some distractions to create extra space to come out to the mouth of the cave and listen for that still small voice. So, I'm just going to ask the Lord, God, what is something that could be set aside this year that I might set you before me? What's distracting me from listening to your voice? 
Ask the Lord. See if something comes to mind or maybe just right off the bat, you know what it is. A relationship that needs to go or a relationship that needs to be repaired or something going on at work that needs to be given to the Lord. Just take a moment, jot down on the card, what's distracting me from listening to Jesus? Take three or four minutes. see the last question on that card. What's one practical step you can take this week to respond to what God's been speaking to you this morning? would love for everybody to write down one practical step, something that could be measured that you could actually do in the next 24 hours or this week to respond to what God's doing. So just take a moment. What's one practical step you can take this week to act on what God's been speaking this morning? have that in your mind or once you have that written down you can stand with me for some of us a few minutes might feel like an eternity but for others that might have felt like a really short amount of time and you were just getting started and so Let this week with the open house, with the sanctuary open uh, throughout the week, six to nine each evening, come on up here and just spend some more time with these questions. And again, we'll have more prompts to 
help you consecrate your heart going into 2023. But the way we're going to respond this morning is uh, a little different. What I'd like for you to do is just to turn to somebody that you came with. And if you came by yourself or you're new here this morning, then you get a pass. But I want to invite you to find somebody that you're comfortable with there next to you. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend. And just share one thing maybe that came to mind, something that you need to let go of or something you feel like might be a distraction from God's voice this year or your one practical thought. But just share one thing that stood out to you and then pray for one another. Pray for God's grace to walk in his way, in his timing, to hear his voice this year. If you're part of our prayer teams, you can go ahead and come down front as well. Uh, if you need additional prayer, we have trusted uh, friends, pastors that uh, want to be available for you. Could be related to what we talked about this morning. Doesn't have to be. We just want to have people available to pray for you, with you. But we're going to sing one last song. But as we do to go into that song, if you could turn to somebody, share one thing, pray for one another, and then we'll close with a song of worship.